Hola, I'm Elias Torres, co-founder and CTO of Drift. You're listening to the American Dream Podcast. On this show, we talk to leaders who have achieved their own version of the American Dream. But we also focus on the work that needs to be done to create a more consistent and diverse face of corporate America. That's why I'm setting aside time to talk to leaders of nonprofit organizations, the people leading the charge to build a brighter future for the next generation. Bienvenidos a todos to another episode of the American Dream Podcast. Today's guest is Beatriz Mendez Gandica, a senior program manager for Microsoft and the founder of Nuevo Foundation, which is a group of professionals encouraging underrepresented communities to learn more about STEM careers. Like me, Bea has a passion for getting more underrepresented individuals into tech early in their careers, and that's what we're going to talk about in this episode. Welcome to the show, and let's talk. Thank you for being here. No, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. I've seen a lot of your episodes and how fun you are and all the stuff that you've done, especially for the Latino community, so I really appreciate it for, for giving me this chance. I haven't done anything. All I do is like I just work, 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 and then and then and then some people say, "Well, I want to watch your work." I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so there's a lot to talk about, right? I, I think I think the meat of it is the Nuevo Foundation. I think that's what really attracted me to to ask you to, to join us, right? Because it really aligns with my mission. But I want to know. I always love hearing stories, right? And I I, I think I don't know. Maybe I, I always trying to. I'm always trying to look looking ways to say stuff that gets me in trouble, but I haven't gotten in trouble yet, but maybe. I feel like from your career and stuff like that, you come across to me, you're still a young person, right? You're not like old like me. And yet you have a foundation already. And that's just mind blowing, right? Because you're like, I'm starting a foundation now, but I'm really old. It took me a long time to feel ready to help. And you've done this so much earlier than me. That's I'm so proud of you, and I'm in awe. So t t tell me what, what led you to do this. Thank you. Yeah, no, so, so for me, it has always been ingrained in my family to be able to give back. Growing up, I'm from Venezuela, and I remember my grandpa would take us to the orphanage, to the elderly home, would take us to the church to bring food, to buy their products, to bring in medicines, clothing. And that's something that I just grew up with. So... For me, giving back, it's normal. So I did that. Then when I came to school to the U.S. in Wisconsin, they had a program where they try to bring folks that come from underrepresented backgrounds into the university to make sure that they continue the, their high school education and that they have a chance also to do that for college. So I did that, and I thought it was super fun. I wanted to see more people that looked like me in college. I did that. So then I came to Microsoft and they also have some programs like DigiGirls where they bring girls to learn more about tech, about coding. But I was like, how can I help anybody? It cannot just be if you're Latina, if you are a female, if you are this, if you are that. I wanted to help the whole spectrum because something that, that I realized is as a Latina in this country, I want to be included. And if I'm excluding whom I'm teaching, then what is it that I'm doing? So therefore, Nuevo Foundation come. Nuevo, for those of you that don't know, means new in Spanish. And the whole idea was to have a new approach where we help anybody that's 
underrepresented. That can be in terms of income, that can be in terms of gender, in terms of race, or any other underrepresentation. And that's what we started. So I'm like, but Bea, why would you start this thing if it's a lot of work, it's a nonprofit, you don't have money, where are you going to get the funds, all that stuff. And I think there's this saying that I would say like, hacemos de tripas corazón. Uh, with, with the little that you have, you make the most that you can. And we just came with this idea. And it was five friends at a cafeteria here on campus at Microsoft. And I'm like, look, I learned how to code in university. I think it's too late by comparison with other regions of the world. How can I give the chance that I didn't have to that kid in Montana, Idaho, Seattle, that they can do too through coding? And so we're like, okay, well, there's already plenty of organizations that do the same. Let's see if we can do it. And our target was if we can help 500 kids in the first year, this is 2018, well, this will be success. And before the end of the year, we were able to help over 2,000 kids. And so there's still a gap. There's a need. And that's how it started. If I speak too much, you know, you can always stop me. But that's what came to mind with your question. I normally speak too much. So what I try to do in this episode is try not say anything. So... And and the good thing is that because I interview a lot of Latinos, they just talk a lot. So I don't have to say much. <laughs> in my company, we call that drift leadership principle, staying scrappy, right? Is that something that it's just, I love that, that is in, is built in, is taught to immigrants, to Latinos, mm-hmm. because we have less, right, growing mm-hmm. up. And so mm-hmm. we're okay. But to tell you the truth, you know, there's people in my company that don't like that principle. Sure. It's controversial, right? It's a, mm-hmm. should we do things too scrappy? That means they're not well developed. Should we do things properly? Should we be cheap at this stage? Is it cheap? Is it frugality? Whatever it is. But I love what you did. I, I, I feel like you're very entrepreneurial. I can dig you for working at Microsoft, but that's, that's a plus. But, <laughs> but the thing is that you went and you said, can we help 500 kids? You set a goal, 500. And you said, if we do that, that's better than nothing than not helping mm-hmm. anyone. And you help 2,000. Wow, mm-hmm. that's phenomenal. And those kids, maybe it's the first experience ever they had with something like this, right? Yes, yeah, so we try to work with Title I schools in the U.S., which are the schools that are least funded. Let me give you like two examples. So we got to a school in Fresno, in California, which is a very rural area. So the, it was funny because like mostly Latinos, but then they brought not only their sister or the siblings, but they brought la mamá, el gato, el perro, el abuelo, el tío. It's like a family would be like 10 people. They all come to this big conference at the University of Fresno. And it was the first time that they see a Latina that works for big tech or for a good company, or it's making more than what they think that they could make in their life. And I think that exposure is very important. That's what we try to do. We've done the same in Wisconsin. We do we do the same here in the state of Washington, Massachusetts. Where you are, not yet. Hopefully soon. But we try to. The idea is how can we help all it's those? It's too cold here. It's too cold. <laughs> I bet. I bet. But it's giving them that exposure that dream big is possible. Keep studying, learn something, find your passion. And if coding, it's not. That's totally fine. But at least you know that there's this thing called computer science. There's thing called tech coding that if you want to if you choose to pursue that you can make a living and hopefully help your community because everything is like pay it forward right i've learned i'm here how can i give back to the next person and the next person and when we teach we always tell the kids hey you have a cousin you have a sister you have somebody else would you teach the coding that you learned today to see if that person might like it and i think that's important because 
Unfortunately, in, in the, the education system in this country and anywhere in the world, there's so much disparity and such gaps that we just have to do like a snowball, you know, like we try and then hopefully the word gets spread and kids have more opportunities. I love listening to you. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like, I always complain that I feel like I don't know where I belong because I get to interact in different groups in different places. I'm always shifting and moving one foot here, one foot there. But I think I like this intersection of Latinos, Latinas, and tech. And you're like, el perro, el gato, this and that. It's a, it's, a, it's a Latina hustle, but saying computer science and tech and teaching them, inspiring them, and, and working in big tech and, and, and making money, too. We got to make money. Right. We got to teach them. I, I think I think it's, it's it's pretty clear. I love I love the, the clarity of the mission. I'll give you a challenge. If you if you come to Massachusetts, you're organized, give me a heads up and I'll, I'll go with you. Yes, yes, definitely. We'll, we'll do that because one of our goals is can we have at least a school or a partner in every state of the country? That's because the next I, one that we go to 50, you know, 50 partners. Yes, yes, that's the goal. We're not there yet. But also with the pandemic, what happened is that we were able to scale or I don't know if scale is the right word, but span because we were able to teach in South America, in the Caribbean which otherwise we wouldn't have been able to because kids were taking classes online. And so I understand a lot of setbacks happen because of that. But one good thing that, that happened is first it let us go or spend in different countries. And also kids in the U.S., regardless of where you are, they were given computers and internet access, which was a problem pre-pandemic. So that for education and outreach for us was big. No, absolutely. What do you teach? Okay, so we have about 33 workshops in multiple languages. So in Spanish, Portuguese, English, German, French, and I don't know, other languages as well. But we teach Python, HTML, JavaScript, Java, C++, C Sharp, and security. So I might have missed one of them or not, but that's what we teach coding-wise. And then we try to, especially with the little ones, like elementary kids, we try to do things that are more hardware-related. So block coding, uh, so for example, we have a workshop that's super popular with the little kids. That is, we use an Adafruit, which is like something about this big, I don't know, like very small. You connect it, you code it with block code or JavaScript, depending on what you want, and we plug two oranges. And so every time the kid touches the orange, it makes a different sound. And there's some light up things. And so we're like, you can do this with bananas too. And the kids just lose it, right? Because they, how come you can make a fruit make a sound? And so that is just because... What we notice is that when we work with uh, small kids, it has to be hands-on. If you just yeah. come and tell them about like you know algorithms and all that, it's not gonna work. And we don't even talk about algorithms unless we're teaching advanced. Because for us, it's like, hey, we have this story. How you would create a square? How would you do a hexagon? How you build your own honeycomb and and stuff like that? That way, it's more fun story mode versus just like, hey, this is hello world. Now we're gonna make a function type of thing. Yeah, no, that's hard. I don't know. Tell you the truth. I was always concerned as a parent, like what I was going to teach my kids, you know, having a, a kind of rough upbringing. I, I see all, I saw the affluent parents in Massachusetts, which is like send them to lessons, this, that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, dads that were craftsmen, you know, they would build things or repair cars. And so I was always like, holy shit, what am I going to teach my kids? <laughs> I was like, I didn't know what to. I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to make programmers. You know, I thought I was like going to do this. 
I didn't do too good of a job because I found I, I ran into those problems of like, what is the right thing to teach and expose them at the right age that would click? So it was not an easy thing to get them what is the right. So I love what you're doing in terms of your finding. Did you realize you were an educator? So both of my grandmas were teachers with me growing up. So I, that thing that has a lot of influence <laughs> because I always have my regular school homework and then have my grandma homework. And then I could go out and play. I love sports. So I would go out and play like kickball or just like paredo and just throwing the ball against the wall and stuff like that. But I had to do extra homework always. So I don't know, maybe inside of me, you know, just many years of my grandma. So I had a grandma. They're still alive. Sorry. I still have a grandma. But one grandma was like a real grandma. You know, you will bake and do nice things and all stuff. And my other grandma was like military. Like, boom. Was the fake grandma. <laughs> yes, exactly. I love her to death, but that's just how she was. She's like, you gotta, if they asking you to do one, two, three, you're gonna do one through six. And I never yeah. understood that. Why? Obviously, as a kid growing up, it sucks because you wanna go out and play with your friends. You wanna play Nintendo or anything that you want to play or play outside, but I have to do extra. But after the year passed, I'm super thankful because that, that resiliency or that giving more than what you asked. I think is what has helped me in my corporate job, but also at Nuevo, where I have a team that we have no money, no income necessarily, but it's how do I grow my team? And if I'm expecting my team that's all volunteer to do something, am I an example that I'm doing exactly what I'm asking them and more? Because otherwise, how do you expect people to do stuff that you're not doing? Uh, Especially in the nonprofit world. Corporate, that, that could be a different topic. That's important. I like how you call corporate yeah <laughs> i'm glad you know it's corporate yeah <laughs> well you didn't get laid off no no <laughs> that, that thankfully no no but it, it, i mean it, it we're living right now times that it's rough you know there's a lot of folks from meta that got let go yesterday thankfully my two friends like good friends that are there are good another friend on twitter she's still good it's unfortunate what's going on right now with the layoff and usually what happens is that Latinos are the ones that get laid off first, too. So it's a real struggle that I've seen that too up close and personal, to tell you the truth. It's painful. Oh, my God. It's just, I mean, yeah. And I, I love, are you are you an engineer? I mean, I went to for school for information systems and I work in engineering. I call myself an engineer, but it depends who you ask. Because some people are like, well, if you didn't study engineering, then you cannot be called an engineer. I'm like, look, that's what I've been doing. If you need the title to claim something, okay, maybe I'm not. But I do engineering work. What do you code in? So right now in my like my real job at Microsoft or like the nine to five, not my five to nine, mostly it's going to be right now on Custo, uh, which is Azure DevOps, Azure Data Studio, which is like a query language similar to SQL, but it's not SQL. And the majority of the code when I get to review it, it's going to be JSON and a lot of YAML. So I love when I see YAML. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. So you're doing the more like DevOps and stuff like that. And did you do like C Sharp and all this stuff before? Yes. In my previous job, yes, I'm a program manager. But in my previous job, I got to check in code because the engineer manager uh, and lead were like super cool about it. It's like, yes, Bea, even if it takes you longer, you can still do it. And by the way, the reason I'm saying it takes me longer because that's not what I do every day. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, you're an engineer. You're an engineer. Yeah. I, I was able to them, check in. If somebody says you're not an engineer, tell them to fucking call me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sounds good. You know, but yeah, it was C-sharp. Talk, talk to my friends. They talk to Elias. Because 
I study information systems. Oh, same. Right? Okay. So it was a management of information systems. That was my degree in, yeah. in, in Tampa, mm -hmm. USF. And then I showed up like you at IBM, corporate job, and I was just there winging it, learning, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I took a few classes at this school called Harvard, but the reality of it is like I learned all my programming at, at work. On your you own, I mean? yeah. And learning. Yeah, yeah. So, and making so, mistakes so, and learning. Exactly. And so like... So tell whoever tells you you're not an engineer, tell them to talk to me. It's awesome stuff. But but for the nonprofit, the the coding that we use the most is Python because I think it's the, the the best to get kids started. When I see some teachers starting kids with C plus plus or C sharp, I'm like, I get it. I can understand because maybe that's what, what about they JavaScript? learn. What about JavaScript? We have done JavaScript. The thing is, right now, we have an issue, uh, which is in order to use an online IDE, because the majority of the kids have Chromebooks, you cannot install like VS Code or anything like that. You need to have an email address that lets you run JavaScript. We use a company called Replit, and you just can do stuff online. But the problem is that if the kids are under certain age, they cannot have email address unless you get the parents' permission. So we get a, some limitation of what we're able to teach. In Python, there's this, I don't know if they're a non-profit or for-profit, but they're called Trinket. And so you can run without any email. And so that's what we try to go more. They don't yeah, have yeah. JavaScript yet. But once they do, we have a workshop uh, to teach kids how to do Flappy Bird. So we have one that we call it JS Happy Bird. Uh, so they do the same game with JavaScript and they program how fast, what color, what level the kids get to do. Funny you mentioned Flappy Bird because one of the things that I did, I'm not good teaching kids. I'm more like, I just like to, to have fun. I like more like, mm -hmm. you know, lunches, potlucks, parties. Sure. That's more <laughs> my, I, I'm good at those with the kids and teenagers and stuff. And so like my kids like hanging out with me. But what I did with my daughters and my kids, I said to them, you cannot get a phone unless you build an iPhone app. Nice. Nice. And so, and so like the first two built one. My daughter built a Flappy Bird clone. Mm -hmm, and, but mm -hmm. it was, uh, she called it, I think it was blue jelly, blue jello or something, blue jelly. It was a jellyfish nice. in the ocean. <laughs> so, like, so you had to go like this, mm -hmm. and there was coins that you collect, and if a shark touched you, then you would be dead, right? Okay. So she, she built it. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, she, she built the game, published the app, installed it, and then, and then I gave her a phone. That's what we do. It's like we try to talk to the teachers and say, like, look, what is your class mostly into? Are they into music? So we have a workshop for music. Are they into, like, design, drawing? So that's what we do, the HTML and CSS, because you have the most freedom. Are they into gaming? Are they into security? And based on that, we try to approach that just to make sure that the kids will find it interesting. It depends on your interest. If you are not into music and I'm going to teach you how to make music, I don't know how much impact it can have that hour yeah. or that hour and a half on you. No, I agree. No, it, it, it's tough, but it, it's tough to to personalize it. But, but I like what you're doing. You're, you're, you're creating different modules that could affect every, every kid differently, right? Mm -hmm. How long have you been doing this? So we started in 2018. In April, we've been able to serve 33 countries. The last country we added was Togo. That was They're very interesting. Togo is in Africa. Yeah. Okay. And they speak French. And so we're like, okay, I don't speak French. So one of our awesome team members and lead, he's from Canada, but from the, from the British Columbia side, but he learned French. And so I'm like, Oliver, you think you might be able to teach in French or at least certain words? 
he ended up teaching all of it in French. It was amazing. And then certain things happened like in back in our countries, like electricity went out. It was the first time for kids that they touch a computer. Not all of them, but some of them. But it was so beautiful that at the end, they all got to build their own website. The first time touching a computer and already doing HTML and CSS. I just think that that's just amazing. And, and hopefully we can continue to partner with that organization in Togo and anywhere in the world. Because to us, it doesn't matter where you are. If we can connect virtually on a time that's not like 3 a.m. or something like that, we'll make it work. And then we've been able to help almost like 14,000 students so far. So you get these kids into tech. How do you get them to stay? Yes. So that our job I'm, is... I'm not trying to give you more work because this is a hard problem. <laughs> and I'm just happy problem. that you're doing something very, very nice. Yes. So our goal is to ideally in middle school. And the reason why we target middle school kids is because there's research based by NCWIT, the National Center of Women's in IT, where they have found out that especially girls, when they go from middle school to high school, they lose the interest in STEM. So we try to teach middle school the most just to avoid that, that loss of interest. And for us, if the kid or the student is into coding because of the resources, because of the opportunities, because of what they see, that's amazing. Now, do we keep track of the students to see if they remain in, in tech? That's something that legally we cannot do because you cannot keep track of the kids. So what we do is we work with the teachers, we work with the schools and try to make sure that you know, hey, can we teach the same class again? How, do you know if they went to university, if they graduated? But it's not, I, I mean, as an engineer, I would love to have a data point of how many of those, almost 13,700, something like that's the number, how many of them actually are coding after a month, after three months, after a year. But we do get some outliers that write us and say like, because of you, I'm not going to be an engineer. Or like, hey, I'm planning to go to college and one of the reasons that I want to go into computer science or at least try it is because I have a Nuevo Foundation event two years ago. Those messages happen. And when they happen, it's like the best feeling in the world that you can have because one hour can change somebody's life. But I don't necessarily can keep the track. What we do sometimes is work with other organizations that focus on that type of mentorship once they are in college and we try to give some talks based on our experience, but it's not part of our core. Our core is virtual sessions, sharing how we got to tech and for 15 minutes where the kids get to ask questions, coding workshops, and then speaker series, which is at an auditorium or a big event that somebody is putting together, but it's not necessarily making sure that they keep track. I think there's a lot of organizations that do that. That's not necessarily our territory, but we can always partner with other organizations that are doing that because it's rough. Being like me, for example, I so when we started my first, I think it was C-sharp class. Yeah, it was C-sharp. We were like 45 in the classroom, three ladies. Second week, two ladies. Third week, only me. And then I was just like, okay, well, I'm going to have to do it. You know, like yeah, I'm, I'm different anyway. I have, a, I have an accent. I'm from Venezuela. I'm here in Wisconsin. Might as well just finish this thing. And so it, might, it can get rough, you know, like just being the only one. Uh, not even speak about Latinos, but just as a woman. It was... It could be solo, but at the same time, I'm like, look, if I play kickball and soccer and baseball with kids growing up, why I cannot do the same with coding? And, and you have to love it and you have to keep trying. You know, that's to me. Some people are going to, because a lot of things that happen is like kids might say, well, but I try and it doesn't work. I'm like, that's fine. We all Google. Even at work, we all Google and Stack Overflow is going to be your best friend or your worst friend, depending on what you're looking. But 
it's normal. And so that that resiliency of keep doing it, keep trying, like, not the rindas, right? Like, don't give up. I think it's important to have. And, and I think where those organizations that maybe Elizabeth was referring to, making sure that, that once you get in, which is a very big step, how do you make sure that you finish? I feel like we're an age that programming can be so pervasive, especially with no code, low code stuff. Right. right. We got to encourage everybody. Like, it's bullshit for somebody to say, I don't like it. Maybe they cannot go like, to the lowest levels of DevOps or compilers or databases, but just being more logical in their thinking, right? Of like, okay, let me store something in an Airtable or a Notion, put a table, put a database, yes. spreadsheet, connect it, build a website, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. There's no more excuse that we why you can build a website. Now you have to. What you did with those kids was amazing. That they first time they touch the most kids will touch the computers and just do stuff that is just a waste of time. But if they have that impression, like, wow, I can use this mm-hmm. to generate money for my family remotely mm-hmm. on, like, mm-hmm. outsourcing websites, just right. changes the whole world. For them. Yes. Yep. This is awesome. You're awesome. So glad that we got to talk and meet you. What do you want to leave people, like, to go to Nuevo Foundation? I mean, if you are a teacher that's listening to this, and if you're a parent or anything like that, and you would like us to teach a classroom, at nuevofoundation.org. We have a contact us. It's in there. And if you're like, no, I'm already a programmer. I don't need to, but I would like to see the content that you guys have so I can potentially try with your kids or with a nephew or cousin or any kid around your life. It's all free. It's in our website. Just go to nofoundation.org, look for workshops, anything that you're interested on, try it out. And I hope that you enjoy it. And even if you're not a kid, if you're an adult or a parent that, you know, maybe you're a lawyer or you're an accountant or anything like that, and you're like, I've never tried this thing called coding because I didn't have the opportunity or whatever it happened, it's a good way to learn. It might be a little too childish because it's meant for kids, but you can also try it. There's examples, there's videos, guides through, there's common errors, and the idea, I I think I couldn't agree more with you, Elias, that it's not like you don't like it. Even the solving, the puzzle-solving skills that you get when you're trying to solve a coding problem they can be used for anything in your life. It doesn't have to be just code. And so I just think it's good to practice with your brain uh, how to solve those problems, and hopefully that helps. But I also wanted to say, Elias, thank you so much for the Torres Foundation and the donation that you made to us and the partnership. Like, really, really appreciate it. And we're going to make great things with the kids in Boston and, of course, anywhere else in the country and around the world. No, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, when people want to do... Everybody's creative and everybody's a problem solver, but it's mostly for the problems they care to solve, right? So it's like, we just got to frame it into the way. And thank you for being an educator. Thank you for making your grandmas proud <laughs> and making us Latinas proud that we have young women in STEM, in tech, at Microsoft, and already doing good for others. I mean, the impact that you have made, it's, it's a lot of people say to me, like, well, I want to start a nonprofit. It was like, I want to do something. But just like companies or stuff, people, most people don't do it. You, you did it, and you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're persisting, you're, you're persevering through it. I'm sure it hasn't been easy. <laughs> but look at what you've been able to accomplish with little, right? And just that extra time. So. And the right Amazing. team, right? The right team. I think anybody oh, who wants to start a nonprofit, you have to have the right team. People that are smarter than you in whatever area that there is, right? So uh, in our team, there's way smarter people in certain things, and that's what they lead that stuff. Just think that when when you are a founder or CEO, it's not just you. 
right? You have to rely on a team. Otherwise, you, I don't know how far can you grow. But when you realize that other people can do better things than you, give them opportunities and let them teach you. Because I think that's, how, that's at least how us, we've been able to grow. I have uh, Oliver, who's amazing at creating workshops. Like the dude just, I mean, he's insane. And so that's, he leads the workshops. Then I have another person, Molly, who's like a great friend that she makes escape rooms for us. And that's our fundraising. And then she can do anything else. And so we have, and then I have one person team, Jeremiah, that he reads, you know, those people that are so annoying that read the fine print of everything. You need that person too. So that's the kind of person uh, that he helped us out. And so we, all I'm trying to say is that you need a team. If you want to start a nonprofit, a startup, uh, any entrepreneurial dreams that you might have, because I think you go farther and also be humble, right? That you're not always going to have the right answers. And that's why you have to have a team that's not always going to agree with you. And I'm going to give you a reality check whenever you need one. You're amazing. You're a natural born leader entrepreneur. <laughs> Next thing you start a company. I, yes, I talked to you. <laughs> no, no, but I say, but it's the same thing that you're doing for the nonprofit. It's the same okay. thing. You got it. Yeah. You have it all. You, you got what you need. <laughs> One of these days, when you hit 10 years at Microsoft, you go. I, I had 10 years at IBM. <laughs> oh, nice. Then, nice. Was that your goal, like to get to 10 years and then start something on your own? Oh, no, that was not my goal. It, it caught up really fast. But I was like, oh, shit, I've been here 10 years. I got to go. I got. I was like, around eight, I started feeling like, I can't stay here forever. I can't. This is not me. I'm going to drop that bug on you because you're at eight years right now. Right? So it's like, oops. Yeah. It was like, well, not everybody wants to work as hard as me. Look at you. You're like, you go home and you continue to work on the nonprofit, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you have that that energy and that that drive and you, you have the acumen to like find people, recruit people, bring them together, lead them. Yeah, you can also be an entrepreneur. You are already. <laughs> Very nice you. meeting you. Thanks for listening to the American Dream Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe so you never miss when a new episode drops. If you like this episode, please leave a six-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're interested in learning more about my American Dream mission, subscribe to my newsletter linked in the show notes. <laughs>